Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. Hope you're having a fantastic Easter time and you're having a good good break, if that's what's on the card for you. To start today, can you, um, if you've got a mobile phone, can you go and take it out, please? Not sure I ever started a phone like that. If you've got a mobile phone, can you take it out and just hold on to it with one in your hand? First thing you want to do is check it's on silent. Just, that's just nice. Make sure it's still on silent. You ever have one of those moments where you're like, oh no, it's not, and you hope no one phones or texts you. Now, I was reading um, an article the other day, and it was basically some research that had been done by uh, Nottingham Trent University, and basically they were trying to research how often um, people look at their phones. They're smartphones, um, because most people have these smartphones. They're not just a phone, the phones are now smart, you know, and how long they, they check them. Because it seems phones are with us wherever we go. Have you noticed that? We seem to take our phones everywhere. When you're out and about, it's almost you leave the house. Back in the day, you'd take your keys and your wallet, or purse, I guess, and then now it's keys, wallet, phone, and sometimes actually the phone can supersede the other ones. Got to have our phone with us, and we use it for everything. We use it for updating our social media accounts. We use it for playing games. We can use it for tracking our fitness. We use it for a whole bunch of other apps, emails, tech messages. We even use it for phone calls. You know, it's just... These incredible pieces of technology. But they're with us wherever we go. They're ever-present with us. And these guys at Nottingham Trent University wanted to do some research to find out how often we look at our mobile phones. So they got a bunch of people together and they installed an app on their phone. Because we're all into apps now. We know what they are. And the app would track the usage. Every time it was used, they would track what happened. And they got all the data together and they compiled it. And they found out how many times a day do you think on, on average... People checked their phones. How many? 100? Okay, they said on average 85 times a day people check their phone. 85. And they found out that was twice as much as people thought. So whatever you think, (laughs) oh, I check it this much, it's actually, in reality, they found it almost twice as much. And check they found out. Um, They found that people were spending a total of five hours a day on their phones, surfing the web, email, social media, etc., etc., which they worked out it's a third of the time they're awake. <laughs> it's just like they found out, they said many of us, it says reach for our phones the second we wake up and they're often the last thing we look at before we go to bed. What a load of rubbish until I remembered last night, what's the last thing I did before I went to bed? Yeah, I did look at my phone. And this morning when I woke up, when the kids came in, what time is it? I looked at my phone uh, to check the time and I thought, Uh Uh-oh, yes, that's right. And we might not realize how much they um, rule our life. 85 times a day, five hours, and it's about a third of our waking time is on these phones. So they are ever-present with us. Now, what's the point of that other than just to scare you and depress you and think, oh, my goodness. What we're going to be looking at today is the final part of our Jesus the King series. And what we've looked at is we've looked at the coming king, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. We looked at the dying king where he instituted the Last Supper and he died on a cross in the place for our sins. And last week we looked at the risen king. He's risen from death, victorious. He is alive. The great message of Easter. And what we're going to look at today is the present king. Although all those things happened in the past, Palm Sunday, the Last Supper, the cross, the resurrection, they, we all look back on them. The reality is them. They are, they are truths that are ever present in our life now. 
They're things that mean something to now. And the fact that Jesus died and rose again means he's present with us right here, right now. As present as you are with your phone, wherever you go. If you've got a Bible, can you go to Luke 24? We're going to read the final verses of Luke's Gospel. All this um, series has been through Luke's Gospel. And we're just going to read the final few verses there. So Luke 24, we're going to start at verse 36. Verse 36. It says, as they were talking about these things, that's the disciples, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when they had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you, have, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Then he said to him, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising God. Okay, big idea today is that Jesus the King is present with us as we carry out his mission. Jesus the King is present with us as we carry out his mission. All right, let's look, go through this passage, first section of the passage. Jesus' physical re- resurrection. Jesus risen from dead. He's made a couple of appearances. If you go through Luke's Gospel, he's seen the women. There's the, the, the story on the Emmaus Road with some unnamed disciples where he's appeared to them. And now they're talking about this thing. And then Jesus himself peers in front of them to his disciples. It's a supernatural appearance. He can, seems to be able to appear and disappear at will, kind of Star Trek style. He can just beam into a room. And they're all chatting. And suddenly he's there. He's right there in front of them. And as understandably, I think for the disciples, they freak out a bit. Because they're talking, he's alive, you've seen him, There's the other people have seen him, and suddenly, bam, he's there in front of them, and their reaction is a little bit on the kind of, ah, side. Now, superstition kicks in, and they think, well, maybe this figure in front of us is a ghost. We saw him die on the cross. We know he died. Romans don't muck around with, it, with crucifixion. When they crucify you, you're dead. That's the end of it. And they put his body in the tomb. He is dead. He is gone. Now he's here in front of us. Maybe it's a ghost. Maybe they're just thinking, is this, you know, there's a ghost here? Is it actually Jesus? Is this Jesus actually real? Or is it one of those kind of situations where you like you put your hand through someone? 
When I, I say it like I've done it, I've never done it, but you know what I mean? Like you've seen it in the movies where the, the, kind of, the ghost's not there and you, you kind of go to grab them and they disappear. What's going on? So these guys are really kind of like freaked out that Jesus has appeared in front of them. And it seems Jesus is aware of what they're thinking. Obviously being God, he's kind of thinks, I, I can understand what you're going through. You weren't expecting me back. Here I am, I'm back. And he basically says to them, he tries to allay their fears. The first one he shows them is, I'm real. So what do you say? He says, touch me, grab hold of me. Jesus' resurrection body was obviously something physical like yours and mine. And if you grabbed it, it's real. It's got substance to it. And Jesus says to those there in front of him, you can, you can take hold of me. In other accounts, they have that. He says, come grab hold of me. I am real. But he also he lays other fears. And people might be questioning, did you actually die? Which is kind of odd because the Romans are really good at killing people. He says, yeah, I, I did die because look, I've got scars in my hand. The nail scars. There's the, the mark in his side that would have been from where the spear thrust went. So not only is he real, he's actually proving, I did actually die. On that cross, I died. It wasn't just like that, the, the silly theories that come around that he fainted or swooned. No, Romans were too efficient. He actually died. He's back from the dead. And it's, there's this comment that's almost like the, the, the disciples are going through this process. Of, it's too good to be true. We saw you died and now you're back here with us, our Lord, you know, our Messiah. You're, you're back here with us. It's absolutely wonderful. And then Jesus gives further proof of his resurrection, but he says, okay, you might be thinking, you know, what's going on? I'm not some reanimated corpse, so give me some food. Have you seen those horrible films where they eat and you can see it going down inside? I've watched, says what kind of film. You see that, they're kind of going down inside them. He says, give me food to eat. Give me some fish. Like if here's fish. Eat the fish, he can eat. So he's obviously got power in his resurrection body to eat in front of us. So Jesus has physically raised from the dead. We looked at that last week in the risen king. He is in his eternal state. There's something different about it. There's something like us, but there's something there that is unlike us. And if we um, read Corinthians, when Paul writes in Corinthians, he makes this, he says, what is sown perishable, i.e. our body which dies and goes into the ground, so it's kind of like sown like a seed, will be raised imperishable and that's what Christ is now he's in this imperishable resurrection body he has risen from the dead it's exciting he's obviously got powers in his body that he can move but he can also still eat and he bears the scars of his sacrifice but he has risen from the dead and he is demonstrating it to his followers and for us this is an important thing to get hold of the resurrection stands up to scrutiny the resurrection is the key truth of the Christian faith Christ rose from the dead some people might accept he died on the cross because there's accounts of it and stuff and you know he died he's a good man his teacher they killed him oh how sad no he rose from the dead which validates vindicates what happened on the cross when he died in our place from our sins and he rose victorious and for us it's something we can be confident in 2,000 years later no one has been able to undermine the resurrection the tomb is empty Christ has risen, he's, he's ruling and reigning. And he's proving it to his disciples there. And the next thing is then he gives them their final instructions. Okay, I'm risen from the dead, I'm back. And they're all like, hey. Crowd goes, well, he said, now I've got a job for you to do. And he gives them their instructions. And what's he said? He's proved he's alive and he says, right, I'm now going to explain to you from the Bible. And he talks about the law, the prophets and the Psalms, which is a shorthand way of basically saying the Old Testament. 
The law, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets uh, and the Psalms kind of is just the sum total of what we call our Old Testament in our Bible. And what he does is he uses those words, the, the, the Old Testament, to prove what he'd already been telling them about. All through the Gospels, if you go, there are moments where Jesus says to them, the Son of Man has got to die, you know, be betrayed, die, handed over to the chief priests, be executed, put to death, and on the third day he'll rise. And the disciples, God bless them, were just like us. We kind of, they nod, but they hadn't got a clue what he was talking about. They hadn't got a clue what he was talking about. And Jesus says, let me show you from the Old Testament scriptures what's actually happening right here, right now. And what they had lacked kind of understanding, he was showing it. And now, with the benefit of the resurrection, we can look back. And actually, I don't know if you realize this, the central message of the Old Testament, in fact, our, whole Bi- our entire Bible, although the New Testament is a bit more obvious, is actually Jesus Christ is coming. He's going to die on a cross and rise from the dead. I don't know if you realize that when you read the Old Testament. I don't know if you look back on the Old Testament as the big boring bit at the front of the Bible and then the New Testament is the exciting cool bit at the back of the Bible that we want to focus on because that's got Jesus in it. You know, and he does cool stuff and miracles and rises from dead and rolls and reigns victorious and he's coming back one day and it's all going to be wrapped up. But actually the Old Testament has that same message. It has that same message. For sure, it's sometimes a little bit hidden. Sometimes it's not obvious sometimes we're kind of like it's harder to see but it's there we preached through the back end of Genesis a while back and we looked at the character of Joseph and we saw Joseph was a type of Christ he was the one who metaphorically died when he went to prison he was falsely accused he then rose to a position of authority and he saved the world in essence by providing the grain he was what they call a type of Christ we read through other parts of um, the Old Testament and we look in Isaiah now with different eyes and we see the suffering servant described in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. He's talking about Christ, the one who would bear our sorrows and suffer in our place for us. We talk about, in um, Isaiah it talks about the light going forth to the Gentiles and this good news and we now know it's Jesus. And Jesus takes his Old Testament and he goes to them and he says, this all speaks about me. This is all talking about me. Their scriptures was all they had at the time. He says, this is all pointing to me. This is all about me. And he proves it to them. Even what's going to happen in just a moment, if you carry, you get to the end of Luke and then you go on to Luke part two, which is the book of Acts, which he wrote. What, how does that begin? It begins with the coming of the Spirit on the church. And that's straight from the Old Testament, the prophet Joel. And even there, he said, that's going to come as well. So it's all in that Old Testament. And Jesus says to them, you are witnesses of this. You've seen this. You've experienced it. What the Old Testament's been talking about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you've actually seen it. You're a witness. You're the one who's kind of observed what's going to happen. And all you need to do, all a witness does, is testify of what they've seen. If you've witnessed something, you witness a car accident or something like that, and the policeman says, come and get your statement, all you're asked to do is tell what you've seen. And that's what he's saying to these guys. All you've got to do is tell what you've seen. And the interesting thing, that's what we are. We're two witnesses. That's all we've been called to be, witnesses, to talk about what God has done in our lives, how Jesus has transformed our lives. We're really no different from them. They maybe saw it firsthand. But actually, we've had encounters with Jesus. We've had him do things in our life. And all we are to do is to respond and kind of speak out about that. And then the final section there. He talks about, um, he, goes, he just rises to, um, to heaven, it's the ascension. So they go outside Jerusalem to this town uh, called Bethany um, and they go there and they, they wait and he, Jesus rises up into heaven just like he had told them he would do. He said he's going away, 
he's going to go away, but then he would send the Spirit to come, which is what he's already referred to. He says in John's Gospel, it's good that I go away so I can send the Spirit to you. And the interesting thing is their response. How do they respond to this? There's two things they respond. First of all, they respond in worship and wonder. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is alive. This is fantastic news. As they worshipped him even after he'd gone. They were still worshipping him. They were praising him. And the second thing they did was they were obedient. Because what did Jesus tell them to do? If you read the passage, he says, go back to Jerusalem. What did they do? Return to Jerusalem. That's fantastic. So that's a good start for the early church. We do what Jesus said. And that's our response, actually, when we talk about Jesus. We've got two responses. One, we worship him. The second, we obey him. That's what we're to do. Worship and obey, and it began right here. This is what they did. They worshipped him, which is what we've been doing today, giving him praise, recognizing who he is, proclaiming that truth, lifting his name up. Jesus, you are the most important thing. You're the, that flag that's been planted in our life, planted in this church. And also then out of that, we respond, we obey. We live our lives according to his model. We follow his teachings. What he says is right is right. What he says is wrong is wrong. And we live our life according to that. We repent of sin and turn away with it, and we actively do positive things um, he's asked us to all right there's the passage let's do three quick things to kind of earth that in today and I want to just pull out three things for the passage and apply them to us okay the first thing about this Christian life that we can learn is it starts with an encounter with the risen Jesus it starts with an encounter with the risen Jesus before Jesus kind of rose from dead and appeared to his disciples they were confused they were scared they were in hiding They literally did not know which way was up. Their world, from their point of view, had crumbled with the death of their leader. The uh, the religious leaders had turned against them. He'd been captured, betrayed, murdered. They must have been in such a dark state. Yet, after they'd met the risen Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed. And all the kind of resurrection accounts are like that. People meet him and they are completely turned around. You've got the women who went to the tomb and found it empty kind of early on that Sunday morning. You've got those disciples on the Emmaus Road. You've got Thomas, the famous story of Thomas, who was doubting, and then he met Jesus for himself, and suddenly he's proclaiming, my Lord and my God. It is transforming like that. And after an encounter with the risen Jesus, a bunch of timid men and women are transformed into the church, which basically turned the known world upside down within a few short years, planting churches, even gone all the way to Rome, the center kind of a civilization. We even look at the story of Paul in Acts 9, this kind of murderer, Christian hater, just wanted to destroy the church. And what happens? He on the road to Damascus, he meets the risen Jesus. Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul is transformed into one of these great gospel evangelist and apostle writes much of the New Testament plants a bunch of churches it all begins with this encounter with Jesus and here's the thing I want you to get it's no different for you and it's no different for me it's no different for us everything begins with an encounter with Jesus becoming a Christian starts with an encounter with Jesus it has to because that's what it's all about. That's what we're all about. We're all about Jesus and we're all about following him. And if you're going to follow him and be a Christian, you have to have had an encounter with him. My own story is like this. I was at university many years ago and I had been church going. So I've been doing the stuff. I owned a Bible. I'd been church going um, and I kind of was, you know, and I was a legalistic, self righteous Pharisee, really. I was kind of, I knew what was right and wrong. 
and I was very moral about it, and I was very judgmental of everyone else who didn't live up to my standards. The reality is that I didn't live up to my standards, but I wasn't going to tell anyone that. You know, I was just going to make sure they knew what they were doing was wrong. And then I met the risen Jesus and suddenly realized that my standards were rubbish and they didn't meet up his. I realized I wasn't a Christian. I didn't have an eternity that was secure. I was, just, I was just not a very nice human being. And at that point, everything changed. He showed me my sin. He showed me his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness that was available to me. I was transformed. I was born again, the Bible says. I was forgiven and brought into a new lease of life. We had last week, we had four people stand right here and give their stories before we baptize them of how God had transformed their life, of what Jesus had done with them. Again, they talked about encounters with Jesus. They had a, a personal encounter with Jesus, which is how it all began. Now, you can be around church, you can be around Christians, you could even be sitting here, but unless you've had a personal encounter with Jesus, you're not walking the Christian life. You're just around Christians. We even put it... On our purpose statement over here as a church, we believe real life is about having a relationship with Jesus. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. You can come to church however you are, but if you want to have a, a kind of be a Christian and walk on with Jesus, you've got to start with having a, an encounter with him. And there's so many other things that we do in the Christian life. We attend church, we attend life group, we give, we serve, we try and be nice, we want to be good employees, we want to have a positive effect on our community, our society, wherever we go. We want to tell others about Jesus, we want to do a whole bunch of things, but they all flow out of and they begin with a relationship with Jesus. That's where it has to start. And it has a beginning point when you first meet Jesus for yourself and then it has a flow that goes throughout the rest of your life. It's not something that you just do once and then you know, I tick it off the list. It's not like baptism. Baptism is a one-off event. We do it, get baptized, that's wonderful. But actually, we're then meant to walk in this life with an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And my challenge to us here today, to you, is are you a Christian here today? Have you had that first encounter with Jesus? Because if you haven't, I'd love to introduce him to you. And maybe at the end we'll give an opportunity for you to come and have some prayer and talk about what that means for you. And we'd love to introduce you to Jesus. If you are a believer here, I want to challenge you and say, do you have an ongoing relationship with Jesus? Or are you living off some event in the past? Are you living off something that happened a while ago, maybe in your childhood or in your teenage years or just... Something that happened that you can point to and think there was an encounter with Jesus, but actually there's no substance to it now. And the reality is that that's actually no relationship if you're kind of living on something from the past. If I, Mel and I are going to celebrate 16 years of marriage very soon, and if I met Mel and I wedding day and we all looked great and we did the marriage vows and then we never spoke again and never lived again, would you say we were married? And you're like, well, reality, no. Maybe you say, well, legally you are. Yeah, but we're not on any functioning purpose because we're not living together, we're not talking, we're not being together. And it's the same with Jesus. You, it's, it's an ongoing relationship with him that we need to invest in. And I want to challenge you off that. We're going to have some time at the end. We're going to worship, we're going to pray. And maybe you need to do some business with God on that to make sure you renew your relationship. Second thing, so it starts with an encounter with the risen Jesus. The second thing, it's based on the words of Scripture. It's based on the birth of Jesus. Jesus appears, manifests in front of his followers. He's there. Wow, the risen Jesus. He eats. He talks to them. They say, grab me. He says, grab me, touch me. He says, look, I've got a nail hole in my hand. You know, I am him. I'm alive. And then what does he do? He's like, right, I'm going away. I need to give you the final instructions. I need to kind of, because I'm, I'm leaving. 
I'm going up to my heaven, Father in heaven, which I said I was going to do, I need to do. What does he do? A Bible study. If you had one hour with Jesus, imagine the man, risen Jesus comes through and goes, you've got one hour of my time. What do you want? Would top of your list be Bible study? I would love that, Lord. Could you please? Give, and not only a Bible study, Bible study on the Old Testament, the really exciting part of the Bible that gives us all those kind of head-scratching passages like, what is going on there? But that's what he does, which begs a question to us. If that's what Jesus does to his followers to prepare him, his final words to them before he goes back to heaven is a Bible study, how does that affect how we should view the Bible? I know, I've been in pastoral ministry a long time now, a number of years in church leadership, and I know how to make a Christian uncomfortable. It's part of the job training, actually, we get. And it's, it's easy. I just look, you just get them down and say, hi, how are you doing? And they say, hi, how are you doing? And say, two questions you ask them. The first one is, how's your Bible reading going? And they will shift uncomfortably in their chair. The second, one is, the second one is, how's your prayer life? So they kind of go together. But that's guaranteed way to make any Christian uncomfortable. Because the reality is sometimes we find it hard, we find it difficult. Sometimes it's something that is a challenge to get into. And underneath that, I think, is an incorrect view of what the Bible is. It's an incorrect view of what the Bible is. When we, when we look at the Bible, it's a kind of a book. It's got a lot of pages, a lot of weird names in there. A lot of weird things happen. And there are a few bits that we can get hold of that we like to read a lot because they're understandable. And they're about Jesus and they're about nice things he does for us. And so we like that. But a lot of it is just kind of way out. And maybe just in a moment, I just want to just remind you of what this book is. Of what this book is. And maybe hopefully this will help you moving forward. This book is God's story. It is God's story of how he wants to have a relationship with man. It's all about God gathering a people to himself. It began in the beginning with Adam and Eve. He said, I want a people. I want you to multiply. I want to have relationship with you. Then we all know it goes wrong in Genesis chapter 3. And the rest of the book is all about God trying to reconcile man to himself. And he's the one doing all the running, even though we're the ones who've made all the mistakes. And it's basically God's love story with mankind. Because it starts in a garden with God and his people and it finishes in a city with a garden of God and his people forever. And the middle section is all about God wanting to pull people into himself together. It's, 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 it's a love story from God, but it also talks about, it's a way that we can shape our worldview. Because it gives us a correct view of the world and how we interact with it. It's a book full of truth. We've just done the Freedom in Christ course, which is all about truth and understanding truth. And the Bible is truth. And it speaks truth. It talks about who you are. It talks about who God is. It talks about how we relate to God. It talks about what things are right and wrong. It talks about how, how to avoid disaster in life and how to live well in life. It's full of, of things that encourage us and, and move us forward. It is a book that will transform us. It's described as living, isn't it? It's a living book. It's the very words, the very breath of God to speak to you in your life right here, right now. It's a book that is eternal and nothing's going to be added or taken away to it. We're going to spend eternity living out the good of what's written in it and studying it. You can study it for your entire life and still find more and more and more things um, to learn and grow in and to deepen your love and your expression with God. It's the basis of what we do in church and how we should live our lives, how we should run our families, how we should do our marriage does all those things 
And overarching is this big story of God saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I want to get to know you. I want to be your people. I want you to be my people. It contains excellent news, the news of a saviour who sorted the problem out, who came and who died on the cross and rose from death and said, because I've done that, you don't have to. And you can be with me forever. I can deal with your sins. It's the way we get to know our Lord, the way we get to know our saviour. If I asked you, many of you, would you want to get to know Jesus better? Do you want to do, you know, fall in love with him more? Most of you would say, yeah, how do we do it? The book helps us. The book leads us. The book teaches us. The book guides us. And kind of my question to you is, how are you doing in your daily Bible reading? How are you doing in your daily Bible reading? Um, the words of God are describing, Jesus uses that image of like, they're like bread, so they're like food that you need to eat and take in nourishment. And we eat every day, we eat several times a day every day, and if we don't, you know about it. And it's the same with the word of God. We should be taking it in daily, bit by bit, not gorging ourselves one day and then having nothing for weeks. A little bit each day is what's going to help us. In two weeks' time, we're starting a new sermon series on the book of Proverbs, which I'm going to encourage you. There's a great place to start there. If you've never read the book of Proverbs, you want to read it. It's got 31 chapters, one, 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 one chapter a day, nail it in a month. If you haven't done that, how about start looking at the book of Proverbs? It's got some really entertaining stuff in it. We're going to find out how it points to Jesus because... It's Old Testament, so it definitely points to Jesus, so we'll be having a look at that. But maybe there's something you can start. If you're not sure about how to read your Bible, grab someone in your life group, someone who you think, they look like they know what they're doing. I'll ask them. Get them to tell me. Get them to teach me. Get them to train me. Don't give up on that. Okay, last one. Run out of time. Okay. Starts on the counts of Jesus. Words of Scripture. Last one. It is proclaimed through spirit-empowered witness. Jesus appeared to them. He showed them what he, how it all wound back in the Bible. This is me. This is all the stuff that was going to happen to me. Then he basically said, go out and tell people. But before he said do that, what did he say? He said, wait. Wait for what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and be present with you forever. Jesus said back in John's Gospel, it's good that I go away. So I will send another who will be with you forever, the counsellor, the one who comes alongside. If we go into the book of Acts, you see the Spirit coming on the church. It fell on them all. They were all filled with the Spirit. And ironically, what's the first thing Peter did when he was filled with the Spirit? Went and told everyone about Jesus. He preached. 3,000 got saved. And so for us, this good news that we have, this great news that we are witnesses to, because God has high, is proclaimed out. We are to tell others, but we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't just do it in ourselves. It's something that we are men and women who are filled with the Spirit. And we just tell the simple truth. Jesus is alive, and you can get to know him. Jesus is alive. You can get to know him. Let you tell me what he's done in my life. We're not called to be necessarily the best evangelists or the best apologists in the world or know have all the answers or all the... What we know is Jesus is alive. He's transformed my life and you too can get to know him. You can, and that's what we're called to do. And we'll be, be men and women filled with the Spirit because it says that I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. He says, stay in the city, wait. And then when the Spirit comes, they immediately go out without any more telling of what to do. And so my question to you today is, are you someone, do you pray daily to be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Do you pray daily to say, God, fill me with your spirit that I may kind of serve you in whatever you've called them to, your work, your home, whatever it is, so I can be that witness? Do you know that? If I challenge you now, could you tell your story of what God's done in your life in a couple of minutes? Because that's what the guys did kind of up here at baptism, didn't they? They had a couple of minutes just to say, this is what God's done in my life. And one of the challenges is, can we, if someone actually asks us, so look, you go to church, you're one of those ones, you know, those Bible basher dudes who go to church. And sometimes this happens, they say, so what's this Christianity about? If you were put in that position, you might think God never put me in that position. But if you were put in that position, could you answer the question in a couple of minutes? Simple format, this is what my life was like, this is what Jesus done, this is what my life is like now. And you major on the last one. And that's it. And may could you do that in a couple of minutes? My challenge to you, life group leaders, life groups here, you've got your meeting this week, why don't you have a practice? Two minutes, get the clock out on your phone, because your phone's always with you. There's a, stop, there's a stopwatch on it. Get your phone out and say, right, two minutes. Just have a practice, a bit of fun. Can you tell your story? Can you actually say, in two minutes, I can kind of just communicate that's true. This is what I was like. This is what Jesus did with me. This is what my life is like now. And do that. Maybe you'll have a try with that next week. Okay, let's bring this to a close. If you've got a phone, can you hold on to it, please? Just take it in your hands. Because you're going you're gonna to look at it probably 85 times between now and when you go to sleep. Or get thereabouts. <laughs> and I want to just, I just want to pray. And I said, this is, a, this is a really good reminder because we look at it so often and we'll see if we can create a habit here. Jesus died, he rose from death, he ascended to heaven, then he sent the Holy Spirit to be with his people forever. So although he's gone, in one sense, he is always present with us by his Spirit. Instead of being locked into one place as a man, he's now with his followers all over the world at all times, forever. So he's here with us right now, as well as all the other churches that are meeting all over this world today. And so when you get your phone out next time, Next time you want to tweet something, I know about tweeting, Facebook or whatever it is, or check the football score or whatever it is, I want you to pick out your phone and say, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. I want you to take that reminder and say, Jesus is with me. You might want to pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit at this time, that I may, you know, that I may serve you because you're, we're witnesses to carry out that mission. So grab hold of your phones. I'm just going to pray that actually as we leave this place, Kind of we close out this series that actually this king who's come, this king who's died, this king who's risen again, he's with us now always. And if we get into, get into this habit, guess what's going to happen when you wake up first thing in the morning and you pick up your phone? You're going to say, Jesus is with me. And every day, all 85, by the way, 85 times is an average. So some of you are like, whoa, you know, like 130 times or something. Some of you are a bit less. But every time you'll be like, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. If you don't have a phone, find something else you do regularly and just say it. But actually it's good to build in that habit. Say actually, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. So I'm going to pray. Hold on to your phone. I'm going to pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the king. Lord, we thank you that you are the king of everything. Lord, you're the king of us. You're the king of this world. You're the king who rules and reigns over eternity. Lord God, we thank you that you came to earth to sort out the problem. We thank you for your book that shows us that, Lord, that from the very beginning there was a plan in place to save mankind. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you that came. I thank you that in solving the problem, you died on a cross because that was the only way to bear the penalty for all our sins. Lord God, I thank you for your death on the cross in my place for my sin. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you rose victorious from the grave, that it wasn't the end, the cross. It was the beginning of something amazing. Lord, that you rose from death in a resurrection body. Lord, you appeared to your followers and said, I'm alive. This plan is on. Lord Jesus, and I thank you, Lord, that when you went to heaven to be with your Father, you sent the Spirit to be with each of us. Lord God, who are your, who are your children, who are your followers? And I pray, God, that as we kind of go out this day, we go through the rest of this day, you will remind us of that truth, that you are with us always. There is no situation we can face that is too big for you. There is nothing that we can come across that is beyond you. There's nothing that's going to surprise you. And we can take confidence and hope that you are always with us. Lord God, and every time we take out our phones and every time we look at whatever we've got to look at it, Lord God, I pray you just drop that into our heart. God, you are with us. And you are empowering us for whatever mission you have us on, Lord Jesus. Whatever kind of circumstance we find us in, parenting and work and being married and having friends and all those kind of pressures of life Lord we thank you that you are the present king with us just want to stand up I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us just want to stand up Lord Jesus we thank you that you've been here with us today and I pray Holy Spirit for your people now God would you come and fill us afresh today Lord Jesus we want to say we love you we worship you. We thank you for your truth. Lord, you said, uh, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Lord God, we thank you for that. Lord God, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, you just come and rest upon us now. Fill us afresh. Lord God, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you even promised, you know, if you, how much you would pour out your Spirit on those who ask. And Lord, we ask for that to come now on us, Lord God. Refresh us where we need refreshing. Encourage us where we need encouraging, Lord. Give us strength where we feel weak. Energy where we feel weary, Lord God. But we, I pray most of all, God, you would just remind us of how much we are loved by you. We kind of say it glibly, oh yeah, God loves us. But actually, we are loved with an everlasting love. A passionate love that conquered the grave, Lord Jesus. Lord God, we want to say we love you. And we praise you, oh Jesus.